Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1412 entitled Time Travails and Other Mavums. <laughs> Our podcast title is Potter Girls, which we may have used before, but we'll go with that anyway. <laughs> I will remind you that the Radiothon is still on and that there are major prizes still to be popped into the drawer, hopefully your drawer. <laughs> and obviously you just need to subscribe on rrr.org.au. Whether or not you subscribe to Zero G or to the station as a whole or to any other program is entirely up to you, free will. <laughs> you may be under the groove, but you are not under the thumb. <laughs> all right. Now, all the news that's fit to show on television, Paper Girls. Now, this one Megan put us on to, and initially it was a graphic novel, and now it is a television series on... Amazon Prime. So, yes, it has appeared on Amazon Prime. It was released in July. Paper Girls. So, yes, it's a mystery sci-fi TV series. It's got a bit of adventure the fish-out-of-water trope, and I think we can go ahead and say, because it was in the episode title, it does revolve around a wee bit of time travel is kind of what our story is hanging on to. So it's got eight episodes in the first season. Sadly, the news recently was that it is not going to be picked up for a season two by Amazon Prime, but the production company Legendary is going to be shopping it around. So I don't think they want to quite give up on continuing this story, but it won't be appearing on Amazon Prime, unfortunately. So that's hot off the press news there. Wow. Well, yeah. that's not a, necessarily a kill switch for the show because we've seen these things being picked up before, you know, like The Expanse and so on. Mm-hmm. Things can just push through. Yeah, and it, it does help if there's a bit of a fan base behind it pushing to get it still continued on. So hopefully we might draw your attention to this show and see if you like it. So it is created, the television series, by Stephanie Folsom. So she was acting as the showrunner, executive producer, and wrote quite a few of the episodes. She did actually leave the series in 21. I'm not really sure what happened there, but Christopher C. Rogers did take over the showrunner role. He was already executive producing on the series and he sort of continued on the latter half. She left while they were actually still filming. So let's leave that, whatever that controversy is over there to the side. Stephanie Folsom, she's worked previously on the story for Thor Ragnarok in an uncredited position. She co-wrote Toy Story 4. She's also worked on a couple of episodes of Star Wars Resistance. She hasn't fallen out completely with Amazon Prime because she's working on Rings of Power. She was a consulting producer on that and wrote the first two episodes. And upcoming, she's going to be working on a TV series of King Kong for Disney+, and that's going to be more of a modern adaptation. There's a bit of a return to Skull Island, but it's also, I think, maybe a bit of a reboot for Kong. So that's her next project. Oh, of course, the legendary connection. 
Yes, exactly. So they're yeah, really yeah. trying to get some of that monster stuff up and running. Uh-huh. So this show is based on the comic, as you mentioned, written by Brian K. Vaughan. And so that was drawn by Cliff Chiang. And both of these two are executive producing on the show as well. So Brian K. Vaughan, we picked over his CV recently because we covered Runaways. So Marvel's Runaways, he worked on that in comic format. And he's also worked on the End of Days comic, Why the Last Man, the political dystopia ex machina, Runaways, as we mentioned, the Urban Lion comic Pride of Baghdad, uh, the space opera saga, and then, of course, this, the coming-of-age sci-fi paper girls. He was also a writer on Lost from season three and an executive producer of Under the Dome. So he's got a little bit under his belt there. So this comic was originally published by Image Comics. It began in 2015 and finished up in 2019. There were 30 issues. You can get some nice volumes, two of them all compiled together, which is pretty nice. It's a story about kids confronting their adult selves. And it's a little bit about the person that they're hoping to become and the person that they may do become. He talked a bit about how he had wanted to write a comic that centered around a group of females. It was something he started thinking more about when he was working on Runaways and he didn't really realize at the time, but he's like, oh, I'm enjoying writing these female characters. I would love to do something to just centers around females, don't have to explain it. And he wanted to write a story about four kids. This is a quote from him. They're these sorts of hardcore gangsters that are much more interested in going around shaking down the adults who owe them money so they can get their cassettes or buy their own Nintendo systems. It was avoiding the relationship traps that come up in those 1980 films and just letting them and their friendship be the story. So this is a a story we know and love from things like Stranger Things. It very much firmly in my wheelhouse, which is why I brought this to the attention of Rob. But maybe before we dig into exactly the page to screen adaptation of Paper Girls, should we take a little bit of a track from the original soundtrack? Yeah. This is called The Girls, and it is from the OST of Paper Girls, which has got a really nice cover Mm. on the album too, by the way. And it's by Bobby Krillick, and here we go with The Girls. Now, I don't know if this has been used as a title theme at any stage, but it's still a nice track. Hello, this is Bobcat Goldthwaite, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Melbourne. Zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. Now, that was Bobby Klick, a.k.a. the Haxan Cloak, British composer. Mm. And you had a bit of electronica there. Mm-hmm. Quite dark, really, wasn't it? Mm. And it's called The Girls, and it's from the Paper Girls soundtrack. And we're talking about that show at the moment. It's on Amazon Prime. You also know, click from the soundtrack of Ari Aster's 2019 Shiversome Horror Film, Midsummer. <laughs> and he also worked on the soundtracks for Snowpiercer, Angel of Darkness, and Reprisal. Amazing. Mm. So, yes, we are talking about Paper Girls. And as mentioned before, it's got a lot of the elements that attract me to a piece of media. So there's nostalgia, kids riding bikes, forming of unlikely friendships. We do start out in the 80s. I will stress it's not something that remains linearly in the 80s. 
it's very much centered around trying to figure out a little bit of a supernatural slash sci-fi mystery. I will note as well, I think when it was kind of the TV show appeared, people were like, oh, it's like a Stranger Things, but with girls. And so you might be tempted to say, oh, well, it's just jumping onto a bit of a bandwagon. But the comic itself did actually come out before the first season of Stranger Things. And I think all of these media are just dipping into the same nostalgic well. So I think just to clear that up, I think this is a tale as old as time and we love to see it in whatever kind of different configuration. So in this particular configuration, we've got four 12-year-old paper girls, so delivery, newspaper delivery girls. They do their route early in the morning and we catch up with them on the day after Halloween, so the early morning after Halloween, November 1st, 1988. So it's set in a fictional suburb called Stony Stream, which is in Cleveland, Ohio. And so we meet our four girls pretty quickly as they kind of collide with each other on their morning paper route. And they're all from very different backgrounds. I'll run through briefly kind of who we've got here. So we have sort of centering from the start, Erin. So Erin is played by Riley Lay Nillette and she's uh, Chinese American. And the show I think does a really lovely job of um, straight away bringing in some details that highlight her different upbringing, her different home life and uh, how her life differs from some of the other girls. And uh, so it's her very first day on the job. Bless her. And isn't she in for a ride? <laughs> um, she quickly collides with Tiff. Now, Tiff, she's African-American girl. She is smart. She's very obviously on the ball, savvy. She does uh, agree to sort of help out Erin a bit. She sees that she might be struggling. Uh, she can just tell she's got her stuff together, you know. And um, and then very quickly, we also come across Mac played, oh, sorry, Tiff is played by Cameron Jones. Uh, and then we sort of head straight into another situation where we meet Mac, uh, played by Sophia Rosinski. So she's a bit of a tomboy, um, kind of the classic. She's a little bit of a stereotype in the early episodes, at least. Classic kind of brash and headstrong, bit defensive, but charismatic. One of the things about Mac is she's rocking a haircut and a leather jacket and a bicycle in a look that is almost spot on for John Connor from Terminator 2. Ooh, that's a great call out, in fact. Mm. And I think that's important in the time travel context. Mm -mm, very much so. And, yeah, so she's definitely an interesting character. We get some nuggets from her about, you know, she's had an unsettled home life and things like that. She's got a few issues that she's clearly working through. They tap into some societal things and some kind of more big-ticket issues actually very early on just from a, a more kid's perspective as they sort of talk with each other because they're all coming from – they've all got very different lives, but it's very clear they've all got different stuff going on at home, different struggles in their daily lives. So the last one we meet is KJ, played by Fina Strazer. So she's from a family who – owns a lot of businesses, clearly has a little bit of money from what we learn quite quickly. She's Jewish. That also becomes a bit of a theme as she's interacting with the other girls. And each of them, as each of them tries to kind of share a bit of their experience and get a bit of understanding from the group, um, KJ, she's actually a favourite of mine from early on at least. She's pretty tough, but she's very empathetic character. She's clearly someone who's in tune with the others and really tries to be the rock she speaks her mind and she seems pretty tough, even though she is probably one of the more quieter characters. 
in a way. So that's kind of our four key main characters that we have riding around the suburb of Stony Stream. And pretty much straight away, they run into some uh, unexpected trouble. And by the end of the first episode, they're in a very different place to where they started. I'm not sure how much we want to go into it. I think we kind of need to talk a little bit about it to talk about what the show is in a way. Well, it is a time travel series. It does take place across multi eras. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And although, of course, because we've only got one season here, we're not going to go as wide ranging as the comic books. The gimmick here really is that we'll see older versions of the characters, basically. And they are, some of them are hot messes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's just to let you know that the adult Aaron is played by Ali Wong. Mm, yeah. Mm. So a bit of a draw there, I think. I wasn't sure about her at first, but I actually think she brings some of the comedy elements. She's very good at playing a mess, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> and I think the one of the key things is the chemistry between the core four girls. And mm. I think from straight away, they do a really good job of cultivating yes. that. But, but yes, as you said, it's going to be very much about the kids grappling a bit with where their lives will go. And of course, that's where our fish out of water trope comes in, of course, because the time travel to see your future self, your future self lives in the future. And there's a bunch of weird stuff that you've not seen before. So I think the show does a pretty good job just as a full disclaimer, I'm, I'm only a couple of episodes in, does a good job of showing those things without making it too much of a focus and being like, oh, ho, ho, look, they're surprised by the internet and things like that. It's, it's all very much within the plot. I am five episodes in. Does that remain? We, do we, we, we hop around a little, don't we? Well, the musical palette's very 80s. Yes. But I don't feel like they lean into it as much as in terms of the 80s tropes as, say, Stranger Things does, which is set in that era. This one is not set in the 80s apart from bits and pieces of it. I thought it was a very stylish, interesting cinematography too. Like it's quite moody and it's sort of very shot very realistically and then that's why it was a little bit jarring when some of the supernatural elements started to kick in. I was like, oh, but I think it looks fantastic. Righto, let's go the paper route with Paper Girls, soundtrack composer Bobby Krillick with the piece A Great Year for Music. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G. A Great Year for Music by Bobby Krillick for the Paper Girls soundtrack. Back with Robin Megan throwing copy onto your lawn as we chat over our vintage 1980s walkie-talkies about the television series Paper Girls, now streaming on Amazon Prime. It does have an absolutely ripper soundtrack. So mm. it's got like synths from all eras and it's got a bit of New Order, T-Rex, LCD sound system, the Bengals. I think the music drops in this for sure got me on side. If mm. I hadn't already been on side, given the premise is entirely up my alley, the soundtrack is really, really good too. Actually, the elements are all science fiction as yeah. far as I can tell. So no yes, true. supernatural elements in it, but it does play that way at times. Mm. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking – well, yeah, this is all very well. I've, mm-hmm. you know, we've only just gotten out of Stranger Things and Runaways, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, uh, am, am I up for another Team Teens? Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking, well, apply my usual rules and try and judge this on its own merits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of motoring along for the first two episodes, going, uh huh, yeah, time travel, that's interesting. Yeah, meeting older versions of themselves, that's good. They've got a good dynamic between them, the kids, but it's not really doing it for me. Yeah. And then they hit the end of the third episode and I'm going, WTF, basically. <laughs> okay. 
All right. This has taken a direction I hadn't expected. And after that, I'm just going, I'm going to keep watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like that it focuses on the core four. That's what intrigued me at first. I did not realize it was going to be a time travel show. And so I should have put that together more quickly than I did, to be honest. But I did like already in early episodes, Erin, the girl we're kind of introduced early on, has a great conversations with her older self, Ali Wong, that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's set up to explore some different issues and ideas. And what I like too is they're not, the girls are not all shiny. Like they're definitely flawed and interactions with each other. They're not, well, they say are unlikely friendships. They're not off the bat a core group of friends. They're still figuring it out. They're really strangers to each other at the start. So it's kind of like they're dealing with this adventure as well as how to interact with each other, learn more about each other, etc. It's still balancing stereotypes with more nuanced character work, but I think the chemistry helps with the fact that some of them are a little 2D. It's more like Runaways and Stranger Things in that their group is definitely they're just not the they're like the Avengers, you know. They shouldn't be in a room together, basically. Yeah, and I think the a comic, and I, I'm not sure, but like I think it's it's also they want to highlight some of the differences of these characters and how they're going to try to understand each other's perspective because they're all they are also different, not just from cultural background, but in terms of their personalities and probably what they do want for themselves in the future and things like that. So I do think as well it's important to note that. Same as kind of where Stranger Things ended up going. It's got kids in it, but it's not for kids. It's for adults. It's not gory or anything. It's more just there's bigger concepts. It's a lot of F-bombs. It's not a kid's show. There's no issues there. But I think sometimes if it's got kids in it, it's like, oh, great, it's a young adult show. I'm not necessarily sure it's for kids' kids. (laughs) Well, Maybe it is. Maybe it's fine. I'm just being overprotective. (laughs) Do what you will. I'm just thinking, Megan, you know, we go to visit our future selves. (laughs) Oh, gosh, don't. (laughs) It's like zero G episode number 7,000 or something. (laughs) With MCU phase 40. (laughs) You know, the Mandalorian series 17. (laughs) Yes. Oh, gosh, who knows? Or or it's like it's all merged and it's like – Star Trek Wars. It's a giant, one giant crossover and we're just trying to plug on. Meet the Avengers. Um, <laughs> I am glad it, it grabbed you because I can see how the initial premise for someone who's interested in watching that kind of show, yeah, sure, tick. But, again, you're right. There's, we've had a lot of content like this out in the recent time and – are people going to be interested in watching something like this? And it's more than possible that's part of why it got cancelled. If you need to get to episode three for it to kick off, maybe it lost too many of the audience early on, which I think is a real shame because I think the comic is great source material. I think that it's nice to have things like that adapted and I think with the sense, you know, creators involved. So 
it is a shame. I wanted to shout out two other actors in this, some of the mm. adults, apart from Arlene Wong. Uh, <laughs> Adina Porter plays the prioress. Now, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about John Connor and the Terminator. She is the Terminator in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she is awesome. Like, she's unstoppable. Uh, oh, absolutely. seen her before playing Letty Mae Thornton in True Blood, and uh, she was also Indra on the CW The 100, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other mm-hmm. shows. And she's got one of those resting scary faces that yeah <laughs> but because she is face. actually trying to blend in at times in this literally, mm. literally at times she's able to switch over in that scary way that the terminators are able to you know yeah great performance by adina and matched by nate cordry playing larry who's a farmer but he's also a member of a paramilitary group yeah and there's some interesting sort of on-off switches going on in his character too. And I thought all of this played extremely well into the time travel procedure, which is good. Mm, mm. You know, so they're actually thinking it through. I've enjoyed it so far. I am going to definitely finish it off. I'm also mm-hmm. a bit weirded out by the producers of this show. We talked about, you know, it was Christina O and Brian K. Vaughan, but also Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> and Christopher Cantwell, the Marvel Comics guy who's just finishing up his run on um, the Iron Man books. And I'm thinking, that's an awful lot of talent there in the top end, but do they all just sort of come with the legendary sort of stamp? Or? Yeah, probably. And I'd say Brad Pitt's got just some monetary interest or something like that, mm. I would imagine. I saw that too in the in the credits there. Cantwell definitely is a major player in the comic book world. Mm. I'd say, and I think that's probably shows at least they're very much engaged with this being an adaptation of the comic. It hasn't just been, oh, let's grab the rights for this or that and then do whatever we want, like, you know. I did want to ask you sort of as as we wrap up, uh, what do you think, because you've read the comic books, so what do you feel about the adaptation? I actually haven't read them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, no, I, it's always been on my list and I haven't got around to it. And so I think it's a bit of a shame, actually, because I'd like to go back and read the comics now for sure, I think. I did a little bit of reading about it and according to the fans, and we mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. to listen to the fans sometimes, the idea is very similar, but there are some yeah. changes to orders, some folding of characters, as you would expect because it's a different medium for the television. Absolutely, and I think that would be totally understandable. And if it serves a TV story and pace, I prefer people do that than be very rigid on the material. I do know someone who loves the comics, though, as well, and did really enjoy the show. So I think that, in general, the faithfulness has been held to. So, Yes, Brian K. Vaughan's authorial voice is very strong in this story, too. There's a couple of speeches that characters give, and you can tell that it's coming out of his experience of being a dad. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's that too. It's fun, Paper Girls. It's got its moves. It does Mm -hmm. stand out from the other team shows that we've been talking about and several movies too along the way, I think. Yeah. So watch out for that. If you've watched Runaways, you may find it's very – it's got some similar aspects in it and also actually between the comic book. In Runaways, the York family originally were going to be time travellers. So I think there might be some spillover there. It'd be interesting to see if there was some actual links. Yeah, I mean, 
Mm, who knows? I don't know. I don't think Marvel would allow it because he went and started working at the Image, I think, afterwards. So, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Paper Girls, I think one to look out for. A bit of a shame if it's fl- flown a little under the radar and hopefully we will see a season two from it wherever it may land. So you can catch season one on Amazon Prime. All the episodes are up now for you to enjoy. Hmm. Do you have another track for us, Megan? I do. So I've plucked something from the soundtrack. This was played in the second episode of Paper Girls, and it's a song I hadn't heard for a long time, brought me back a little bit nostalgia-wise. So it's LCD Sound System, and it is Someone Great. Hi, my name's Con Eagledon. I'm the author of The Dangerous Book for Boys and Wolf of the Plains, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR. That track there was from LCD Sound System. That was Someone Great, and it is from the Paper Girls soundtrack. Yeah, very electronic, that one. Mm -mm. Very much set the scene. So from the streaming screen to the small slash streaming screen, we were going to do a little rundown of the Emmys. So a while back we ran through what some of the nominations were and so we thought we'd just loop back and shout out what some of the wins were for some of our shows that we've covered over our time or have enjoyed. So it was the 74th Primetime Emmy Awards. It was held on the 12th of September. So to start off with, I wanted to call out Squid Game. It was the first kind of non-English drama series that was nominated for awards. Big thing to note. I was going to say achievement, but it is an achievement, but I think we should be including more non-English. So there were 14 nominations in all, including many acting nods and a nomination for Outstanding Drama Series. All five main characters did get nominated in acting categories, but walking away with the trophy, we had Lee chong Chair who won for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series. Now, he's the first Asian actor to win the award. Big accomplishment. He is, of course, a well-known actor from South Korea who's been working for many years, but it is pretty great for him to get this acknowledgement. And I think he was very stoked by that. We also have Huang Chong-hyuk, who won for Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series. So he's the director and creator of Squid Game. He did win for the episode Red Light, Green Light. And again, it's the first non-English show to be given this award as well. And then we also have in the creative arts ceremony, we got Yu Mi, who won for Outstanding Guest Actress. She was, of course, the actress who was in the fantastic scenes in that Marvel episode. And so we're very pleased. Uh, I was really happy to see that she took away that award. Uh, of course, Squid Game, a lot of the shows that we kind of cover on Zero G are off- often up for some creative arts awards. And so it did also walk away with trophies for Outstanding Special Visual Effects in a Single Episode, Outstanding stunt performance and outstanding production design for a narrative contemporary program one hour or more so basically that's saying yeah got shout outs for its stunts visual effects production design and so on so in total it walked away with six out of the 14 categories that it was nominated for which i think is pretty amazing but all of the other shows in the emmy they've all been killed yeah exactly (laughs) last show standing One of the other shows to watch, Stranger Things Season 4. So it was nominated for 13 Emmys. It did take home five. It didn't get any acting nods, no nominations or anything like that, even though a lot of the cast members were entered for consideration. So all of the awards it walked away with were from the creative arts categories. So it did win for music supervision, prosthetic makeup, sound editing, sound mixing, stunt coordination, and stunt coordination. So I don't think any of those would be a surprise. The show really does have some good chops in those areas um it didn't take away uh that many out of its nominations though well not even half but i mean five wins is still very good so shout out to all of those um 
people who worked really hard on that show. Then let's head over to Marvel. So we'll look at Marvel's shows as a little bit of a lump here. There were 19 nominations across four different series. All of these nominations were in the creative categories. So in terms of wins, Moon Knight did walk away with a win for outstanding sound editing. Then we also have What If, the one to note is a posthumous award for Chadwick Boseman for outstanding character voiceover performance. And then, unfortunately, Loki and Hawkeye, which were nominated as well in some categories, did not walk away with any trophies, unfortunately. So moving along from Marvel into the Star Wars universe, Book of Boba Fett did win for visual effects. Star Wars Visions was also up, didn't win anything there. Severance, which is a show on Apple TV+, Plus, which we actually haven't covered on Zero G, but is kind of on my radar, had quite a lot of nominations, 14 including four different acting nominations. Now, it did win for Outstanding Music Composition for a series and it won Outstanding Main Title Design, which I think is pretty interesting because there's a lot of main titles that were nominated that I thought were pretty good. Of course, with Severance, nobody can collect the rewards because <laughs> <laughs> that's not their day job. <laughs> exactly. So that one, yes, two out of the 14 norms, I believe. Then we also have Only Murders in the Building. That's a show I really enjoyed. It had 17 nominations overall, including for Outstanding Comedy Series and Acting Recognition, of course, for Steve Martin, Martin Short, Jane Lynch, and Nathan Lane. Now, in terms of wins, Nathan Lane did win for Guest Actor in a Comedy Series, and then the show itself did also win for Production Design, Sound Mixing, and Animation. Sound Mixing for Comedy etc blah 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 drama series so got a couple of awards there and then finally just as a wrap up hbo slash hbo max led this year so it had 140 nominations netflix had 105 so netflix won 26 and hbo won 37 so in the big rat race that is the streamers and the network tv all fighting each other this year hbo still came out on top so netflix did win last year in terms of the tally i don't know who's keeping track i think the studio execs at those places are but for us it just means lots of fantastic shows that were both recognized and not recognized here but that is the emmys rundown for the 74th primetime emmy awards 2022 Mm. Mm. thank you megan i was curious to see how they'd all do and well i think the genre has acquitted itself well this year Okay, let's march off with those creepily obedient pink soldiers from the Squid Game soundtrack. This track composed by Kim Song-soo under the pseudonym 23. Hi, my name is Greg McLean, director of Wolf Creek and Rogue. You are listening to Zero G on 3RRR. Seeing pink soldiers from the Squid Game soundtrack, this piece composed by Kim Song-soo working under the pseudonym 23. I wanted to just touch some bases with some of the shows that we have talked about before and that sort of progress as you go along. I've been watching the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. I'm finding it rather hilarious that the elves in Lord of the Rings are really quite bad at diplomacy. <laughs> and they're quite leaning into the fact that they're not very well liked in Middle mm. Earth. <laughs> probably comes from the fact that they sort of run on a much longer time scale than most of the other races yeah and they've got you know that amazing athleticism and they're all fair folk and that kind of thing and you know everybody just hates them (laughs) yeah i mean i would too walking around all superior long living well galadriel herself is a better soldier than a diplomat 
Mm-hmm. And she does seem mighty keen to bury the hatchet in Sauron, so you know, there's that. And speaking of which, because we know that Lieutenant Big Bad Sauron is already abroad in Middle-earth, it's quickly for me become an intriguing guessing game to try and figure out which character he's hiding in plain sight within. So is he the remarkably deadly sailor who might be a king? Uh, or the, the young human who just happens to have found a flame saber that was forged by Sauron or his master Morgoth? Mm. Is he the sorceress fellow who fell from the sky who we might otherwise think is an early incarnation of Gandalf? Uh, he's certainly not the strange elf because it's too obvious who leads the orcs and whom they call father. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if the Dark Lord's mum and dad are like watching a Palantir somewhere just waiting to point and shriek. Oh, look, it's our Ron, you know. <laughs> so, oh, fun fictional fact. The Rings of Power is actually taking place on a disc world. Oh. Perhaps they won't explain this in the series, but that's the cosmology of Middle Earth, according to Tolkien. It mm-hmm. goes from being a disc world to become our regular spherical Earth. Interesting. Yeah, there's no mention of a Brobdingnagian turtle, though perhaps mm-hmm. those great elephants that Samwise Gamgee is always going on about may have some standing in a Discworld sort of cosmological sense. I just thought that was quite intriguing. As Tolkien said, I'm not really doing this because of geology or anything like that. It's dramatic necessity. Love it. That, <laughs> that is fiction. Yeah. So, yeah, a flat Middle Earth. All right. Now, I wanted to talk a bit about the Sandman. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I've also been watching, and that's really ramped up. I, I was feeling it was a bit too gothic for me, and yeah. it felt like it was calling back to when the actual comics were more 80s stuff. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You weren't sure you were on board, okay. No, yep. no, but it's grown on me, and some of the stories are really strong. There's a Twilight Zone-like episode set in a diner Ooh. where the John D character – played by David Thewlis and chillingly so it cuts loose and it's a horrible experience for all involved very gory and this is where they lean into it fine episode from a dramatic point of view and then there's an episode where Morpheus dream that is to say hangs with his sibling death played by Kirby Howe Baptiste who we know from Killing Eve and The Good Place and mm-hmm. the fourth season of Veronica Mars Oh. Yeah, so she is an awesome deaf. She's quite chirpy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's a whole thing going there that's a bit Terry Pratchetty, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's a genuinely moving exploration of the human condition that Morpheus is undergoing from his outside looking in perspective. This episode really gets into that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is quite strong. I see where people got on board with Sandman in terms of reading it originally and why yeah. it's been such a struggle to bring it to television. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we get into the adaptation versus the original quite often, but here it's like, well, you know, neither one of them takes away from each other. Mm. It's helped a lot that Neil Gaiman's got a lot to do with this show. Yeah, yeah. It's just so well written. <laughs> <laughs> So keep an eye out on The Sandman if you haven't started. It is a journey worth going on. And isn't it interesting how a lot of these shows we've seen, you know, you're thinking about them from the first episode and the second episode. Look, I'm a bit old school, admittedly, in how I watch television shows. I'm used to 24 episodes in a season. Yeah, right. Then we go down to 12 episodes and Mm. then we go down to eight episodes and streaming and the British ones are six episodes. Yep. I'm curious because you've been watching Rings of Power and Sandman uh, and we talked a lot about those. 
What's your thoughts on Rings of Power is the old school method of one per week, and so you have to wait. And then, of course, Sandman, as per Netflix's style, dropped everything in the one season. How have you found as a viewing experience? What do you prefer, do you think? Like, do you like the throwback to the old time of you've got to wait, you've got to pace yourself, or do you like having them all available? Well, there's my personal preference, and there's my preference as a reviewer for Zero G. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm able to slip between them instantly, like that Mm. format. Like Paper Girls, I've been binging a couple of episodes at once. Mm. Uh, Lord of the Rings, I'm happy for it to bubble along in the background once a week. And it's all so epic. It's like watching a whole movie in an episode anyway. Yeah, so true. maybe with that, it's not the right comparison. But yeah, I'm all right. How about you? I think I prefer, I like sometimes having something to look forward to per week. But of course, it has to be something that's really grabbed me in the first couple of episodes, of course. Mm. And I think it's interesting, narratively, I would argue that some of these shows don't do anything that differently, despite the fact that the format that they're releasing is totally different. So I think you can binge some of these shows just as well as you would. Whereas I think on network television, they used to do it quite differently. Like the style of episodes and the way they told the narrative was different. Mm. So I think in some ways it's just the release schedule. It doesn't actually affect the narrative. I think that's something that I've been thinking a little bit about because sometimes I like to let them pile up and then I'll go through a few at once Mm. and yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know. Something I've just been thinking about. It's like streaming is becoming more like television again in some cases yeah. where I guess they want you to draw out your Amazon Prime membership or your Disney Plus membership. They want you to wait week to week. Uh, hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Zero G. Idiots. Shows that I'm enjoying the hell out of on streaming. She-Hulk is still amazing. <laughs> Another week to week, Disney yeah, Plus. Yeah, yes, definitely. I just love it. It's it's great. I've enjoyed all of the Marvel modern era TV shows, mm. and as we found some of the other ones too that that flicked around in between in those little cracks in the franchise. Yes. Yeah, the old Jeff Loeb uh, TV. He used to head up the TV for Marvel, mm. and I'm. Won't go into that today, but, you know, it is just so much of a joy to watch that show. And it's so breaking the fourth wall all the time Mm. and just fun. And Mm -hmm. you did ask me if they're going to lean into more lawyer-based courtroom episodes. There's a couple in there, yeah, where they do it. The only frustrating thing I find, and I don't worry about the CGI, whatever, it's fine. I understand that there's not really a giant green woman walking around doing stuff in this and breaking things. I'm open to all sorts of things there. I did enjoy the fact that the courtroom dramas, they make sense in themselves, Mm. but in a superhero context. Sure. Now, I wanted to trot over to the Disney Expo this year where they've got a few things that have been of great interest. Mm -hmm. The Werewolf by Night is the live-action Halloween special that they announced coming out this year. Mm -hmm. It's filmed in glorious black and white. And seems to be queuing off a combo of James Whale's classic Universal monster movies and a large dose of Edward low budget, keen but crazed over the top enthusiasm. So that's awesome. Yeah, we're in young Frankenstein territory here. I think. Yeah, which sounds just about perfect. And and you know, Moon Knight in the comics has encountered Werewolf by Night, whose human name is hilariously Jack Russell. So there's a (laughs) ticket for a very odd MCU crossover right there. We also saw the drop for the Thunderbolts mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm. So this is like some Marvel villains. 
Yep. And they also are reminiscent of the Suicide Squad, but I think they actually might be more fun in the context of the Marvel reveal. Who knows? Maybe, you know, James Gunn's Suicide Squad will be better than this. Who knows? That was certainly pretty damn gory, I can tell you. But in this, we know now that Contessa Valentina de Fontaine, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus, who we saw in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is going to appear as one of the group, or probably the instigator of the group. John Walker, US agent, played by Wyatt Russell, is going to reprise his role. Yelena. Yay! Florence Pugh is back in this one. She's just the gift that keeps on giving in the MCU. And we've also got Bucky Barnes, Sebastian Stan. (laughs) Yay! Um, Well, I'm still trying to recover from his experience (laughs) in that cannibal horror movie. Fresh, yes. Oh, every time he eats, all you can think about whenever he comes up. I'm so sorry. I Good guess, film, though. Yeah, he never wants to come in doing a dance on one of these reveals. <laughs> <laughs> and it says something that, as uh, Kevin Faggy said, uh, when the most stable character in your team is the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I know, gosh. All, that sounds great, though. What a collection of people. I'm not finished yet. David Harbour is reprising <laughs> Red Guardian. Great. Uh, which will be great because he'll have this interesting thing going on with US Agent because, you know, mm. Red Guardian and Captain America. Yeah. And also Taskmaster mm. from the Black Widow movie, Olga Kurilenko is in there. And, oh, interesting. And, and it just keeps getting better. Hannah John Kamen is reprising her role as Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, so cool. these characters, which some of which who were like second banana sort of yeah. villains, we're going to get to see also. There is in the remaining question whether or not Baron Zemo will appear as well. So, you know, I mean, oh, my gosh, that's so good. There are a lot of other elements that were thrown in there. A trailer for Secret Invasion with Samuel mm-hmm, Jackson mm-hmm. and Ben Mendelsohn as well. Love that. And I just think, oh, I'm so up for that. And, you know, because I've really always wanted to see a Nick Fury-driven show. Yeah. After seeing that amazing sequence in The Winter Soldier where he battles against the forces of HYDRA, I just thought, I want to see more of Nick Fury. Now is the time to do it, I think. Yes. Well, Samuel L. Jackson is not getting any younger. Mm. The Secret Invasion looks amazing. And I just think, oh, I'm so pumped to see all of this sort of stuff. There's little things too, like we're going to get the leader in the MCU as well, again, because we did get a little bit of an origin story uh, way Mm. back in one of the Hulk movie or whatever it was. We did get a a reveal of that. So, wow, no Fantastic Four news really as such. Well, they're going to tiptoe around that one because they know we've been burned before many times by Fantastic Four. Apart from the fact that it is actually going to be a major, obviously, point for one of the future phases, maybe phase... What are we up yeah. to? Five, six, seven, whatever. The, the one after the, the Kang phase that we're sort of going to yeah. end up in now. Or next They're going to have to play that really smart, I think. Yeah, exactly. All right. So there are many other things that we could talk about, but none that we want to talk about right now <laughs> on the show. <laughs> We've got a couple of choices for um, the end track, but I, I think we'll go with Golden Years, which is played in Paper Girls. So that will be our Bowie track. And again, the Radiothon, technically speaking, is still on. You can still be eligible for major prizes at least. So get to your rrr.org.au and subscribe to the station, to the shows, 
to the stars. <laughs> Monstars in our case. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to our podcaster, Alice Savage. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.